In the plains, the grass grows tall, since there is no one to cut it. There is no one to water it, either. Vera Nazarian. Welcome to Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I am your host. I'd like to thank everyone for continuing to listen. I've been very pleased. I've just been looking over the, the download numbers for the last uh, couple episodes, and um, they've really shot up. I've had over... I think like a 200% increase in regular downloads for the last month. So um, a lot of new listeners. I'd like, love to hear from you as well as some of my older ones. Uh, but we'll get to that at the end of the episode. We'll just go over stuff. Um, but this week, I'd like to go ahead and get started and cover and finishing up covering uh, Africa at 10,000 B.C. Now, last week we covered uh, the west coast uh, of Africa, or started in the west coast at least, of uh, northern Africa, and then we continued along to the mountains of southern Libya. Now this week we're going to continue heading east into the, the Nile Valley, and then we'll cover that going up towards, again, the Mediterranean, and then that will finish us off here. And then that will prepare us to journey into Asia on uh, the next episode, or next main episode. So, 10,000 BC, Northern Africa. As we've discussed several times, and specifically in the last episode, most recently, this Northern uh, Africa is much greener at this point in time. However, it is not entirely green. Uh, it's more of a savanna, so there are uh, bushes, uh, small trees, uh, very shallow but probably large lakes, some small rivers coming down from the mountains, um, but nothing that remains there today, sadly. Of course, the major exception to this, the major exception for quite a while now, is the Nile. Now. We discussed the Nilotic peoples uh, kind of in our ending episode of Eastern Africa. And they get their name, of course, from the Nile uh, Valley and their, their inhabitants of it. But they are much further south uh, than what we're going to be discussing this week. Uh, they're kind of towards the, the sources of the Nile. The peoples this week, it's kind of a rough division because, again, you know, you, you have, again, at this point, it's, it's a lot of guesswork still. We don't really know too much about, or at least we don't know too much concrete about who these people were, uh, what their ancestry was, uh, how long they necessarily been living in the area, and what... Uh, kind of language they were speaking. Uh, this is a lot of guesswork, and we kind of go from what people that live there today are speaking and, you know, their genetic background. And that's not always the most accurate thing to do. But we do have to start somewhere. And that being said, um, there is, of course, uh, we discussed Afro-Asiatic as a language family. It's the... Uh, and that is called Afroasiatic because it does cover Africa and uh, the western parts of Asia. 
uh, and the people there today, as in the past, speak a branch of that, uh, a Semitic language, which is, of course, part of Afroasiatic. Now, at the time, it was a different Semitic language. It was not Arabic, which is Semitic. Uh, it was probably, um, it, it was Ancient Egyptian, which was also a Semitic language. Um, or at least a proto form of Egyptian, most likely. Uh, of course, it could also be a Nilotic language that eventually gets replaced by the Semitic languages. So there are a few options. However, now I'm, I'm going to kind of shift focus less onto a hypothetical language or, you know, a proto family. Um, because again, it, it's, it's not a lot to work with. And I'm instead going to be focusing on a material culture. Uh, now, this is not the oldest material culture we found. There is evidence for slightly earlier ones. Uh, I mentioned um, some of how their, their tools have been produced in earlier episodes, um, in like some of our first ones. Um, and there is evidence of other cultures in Africa that predate this one. Um, I didn't go too much into detail because honestly, there's not a whole lot of them. We've found very little, you know, artifacts from them. Now, that will change. I, I am very sure that that will change over time. They're, they're diving so much more into this area in terms of study of archaeology. Probably within the next 10 to 15 years, I think we'll have a much better view of these cultures. Or at least a wider range of artifacts to kind of see what these people lived like. Um, but at this point, at 10,000 BC, there is one that is very important to uh, kind of the foundation of civilization. Uh, and that is the Kadan culture. Now, this actually has been around for about give or take 3,000 years uh, prior to 10,000 BC. Uh, and it is probably on the downward slope. It's going to disappear in the next 1,000 years. But uh, essentially, this, this is, as far as we can tell, it originated in this part of the world. Their artifacts just appear. They're very different from the neighboring artifacts. Uh, in terms of you know what they're made with, how they're produced, uh, they're, the the stones chip differently. They just they have their own flourishes, their own artistic interpretations, that kind of thing. That being said, these people are hunters, as of course we've discussed. Everyone is still a hunter gatherer by this point. However, there is evidence that these people are starting to incorporate preparations of grasses and grains and fruits and things like that. There is some evidence that they made you know, a conscious decision to water and care for the local plant life before they were ready to harvest it. And, you know, they'd make sure it had enough water. They would, you know, carry... Um, carry water to uh, maybe drier areas, make sure it got enough, and they would, of course, prevent animals from getting into it. 
Um, now, there is no evidence that they were planting it. They were not harvesting the seeds and, you know, organizing it into rows and, you know, moving it to where it had never grown before. That is something that comes around, you know, in the future. But it shows that, you know, agriculture is not something that's just going to crop up magically because of a few very innovative people. Um, this is something that is developed multiple times throughout history, semi-simultaneously, um, you know, depending on your crops, some, you know, or what you're working with to make your crops, you have a little bit uh, more or less to work with. Um, and it's very, it's probably very similar, oddly enough, to the domestication of animals. We've, of course, already domesticated the dog at this point. Um, speaking of, the dog may not quite be in Africa just yet. Uh, it's getting close, but uh, I think 9500 BC, I think, is the earliest date they've seen, they're seen in African um, arche uh, archaeology. Uh, but they are, or a group in Africa, uh, will eventually be domesticating their own animals in this region. And you'll see wider domestication worldwide. Uh, and the domestication of grass is, or grains, grasses, plants, whatever, it's going to follow a very similar process to the domestication of animals. Um, it starts by just us living close to these food sources, us picking out animals that are easier to hunt, or maybe culling weaker animals, maybe even, you know, trying to lure them in with bait and then just taking just enough at first. Uh, and then for grasses, it's a very similar thing. We're living close by, we're passing through areas, we know there's good food sources there, so we just want to make sure when it, you know, when it's time that there is going to be food there always. Um, because megafauna has died out, hunting is becoming much harder, um, at least out of Africa. In Africa, probably not having to worry about it too much just yet. Uh, Africa, again, kind of gets spared the worst of the megafauna die-off. Uh, but I'm kind of rambling. <laughs> Let's get back to the Gadon culture. Now, as I said, this was a homegrown uh, evolution of the people who had lived there. And this is kind of situated in uh, Egypt um, between, uh, if you look at a map today, it would be along the Nile River between Aswan and Wadi Haifa. Um, and that would be between the first and the second cataracts of the Nile River. For those that are not aware, a cataract, when referring to a part of a river, is essentially a waterfall. It's where the water uh, basically irreversibly falls down to feed into the flow, which of course eventually empties out into another river or the ocean. Um, and the cataracts for the Nile are based from south to north. So the first one starts uh, further, I'm sorry, I've got that backwards. Uh, upper and lower Nile in Egypt, it's reversed of what you think. Uh, 
Aswan is in the south of Egypt, uh, and that is the first cataract. Aswan is located at the first cataract, and then as you go south, you get the second, which is um, just south of Wadi ha uh, Haifa, uh, which is actually now in the Sudan, or Sudan. Uh, so this culture actually spans very southern part of Egypt and the very, very northern part of Sudan. It's, it's just a sliver of the modern country of Sudan. And then, of course, uh, there are four more, uh, six cataracts in total uh, in, of the Nile. Um, and uh, they, they go further into the Sudan. But there is no evidence that the Kadan culture goes that far south. Um, but there are some very interesting things that these people have that you might not expect hunter-gatherers to have. They have a large number of grindstones. And the blades actually have, uh, that we found for these people, have a lot of silicate in them. So they have like a very glossy kind of film over them. So it could be, you know, evidence of them cutting uh, grasses, kind of like a rough polishing. Um, and in fact, I think some people have suggested that this may have been like a very early version of the hand scythe, and that's going to go extinct for a little while in Egypt before it's brought back in by another group that we'll get into later. And there is also evidence of our first kind of organized warfare. Um, again, my theory for all this show is that any kind of contact that has been violent between humans is either opportunistic or just out of desperation. It's not like a planned tribal conflict for the most part. Um, but there is evidence of um, very intense tribal warfare. I think 40 to 50% of the people that they found buried um, in this kind of border area shows that there are fatal wounds of some type, either projectiles, um, maybe spears or darts or arrows. Um, but, and again, this is another thing, this is evidence of burial and ritual burial like that. So probably uh, some type of afterlife is very, um, you know, very possible or belief in afterlife, I should say. So, um, that is, yeah, that is something uh, that is new. Um, we also have uh, evidence that in addition to hunting, they were very um, proficient fishers. The Nile is a very easily navigable, navigable river. Uh, it is not too hard to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. It would be very easy to catch a lot of fish. You would of course have to worry about crocodiles and hippos. That would be extremely dangerous. Um, but, you know, in times of um, heavy rainfall, you know, in the in the flood season, would be very nice uh, fishing most likely. Uh, and that's something that we will get into in much more detail uh, in the future. But the Nile floods very regularly. Um, it, it floods, I don't, as far as I know, it's never not flooded, at least to a point. Now, um, 
that is not to say that it always floods enough to produce enough food for everyone, but it floods regularly. It's just a question of how much it floods. Um, but there's a reason that Egypt was so stable and prosperous and peaceful for so long, and that is because of the Nile. Now, as I said, the Kadan culture, they're probably starting to wind down at this point. Why? We're not sure. Perhaps it was an issue of them not, um, of overeating these grasses and grains and not replacing them. Well, that is a possibility. There's also the possibility that they just didn't have a lot of people in the area and they were being pressured from all sides from the south from perhaps proto-nilotic or their, uh, and if they were nilotic, they may have been pressured by another outside group, perhaps one of the um, Saharan cultures and speakers, um, or they may have been Saharan and they may have been press, uh, pressured by the nilotic or maybe people from the north, uh, which is certainly a very uh, po you know high possibility. I, I have no doubt that there are people coming back in from Asia, um, kind of trying to get to the the Delta, uh, the Nile Delta. Uh, there's going to be a lot of back and forth in this area, and it's going to cause, of course, problems uh, for the next group that we'll get to in this area. Um, but it also leads to kind of the genesis of Egyptian civilization. Now, there is an alternate theory or storyline here um, that I do need to go over, and that is there was another group that preceded the Kadan. Uh, this is known as the Sibelian culture. Uh, they, were, mm, they were occupying a generally the same area um, with a site next to uh, Wadi, uh, Wadi Haifa, uh, but they did run farther north. Uh, to a city, uh, I forget the exact name, I believe it's Kina or Quena. Uh, I'm not sure the exact pronunciation. So they, they, they had a much wider territory and these people, I think there's a couple of different theories on them and there's the timeline is a little fuzzy. Uh, initially, I think they were kind of believed to have occupied the area between like 15,000 and 12,000. But now there's kind of been a re-timeline where, or a redo of the timeline where it may have been between 13 to 10,000 BC. And then it kind of spread into different cultures or like one part of it died off and the other part became... Uh, the Kadan or the basis of the Kadan or the Kadan kind of pushed them out of the southern reaches of their territory. Um, I, I personally believe that they, they probably had that earlier date, if anything. Um, and they probably died out before the Kadan rose and basically the Kadan kind of either descended from them or kind of took over the area just in terms of um, time frame, there's about a 500-year gap between the Kadan's emergence and the Sibelian's end. So I think it's probably remnants kind of 
reestablishing and maybe readapting to a more nomadic lifestyle as opposed to this kind of semi-sedentary society. Um, but that's that's just a theory on my part. Um, the, the civilians, I believe, had much more uh, flint used in a slightly more uh, traditional uh, manner, kind of like the... Uh, the the I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this. The Levois technique, which is one I discussed in one of our very earliest episodes, basically that stone napping, where you chip out the kind of the outline of the stone you're trying to get, and then you bang that rock that you've chipped out the outline onto another stone. Uh, the Levois technique is used for most, well, used for a long time period uh, in the Stone Age by virtually all humans. Um, it virtually spanned all of Africa, and then, you know, that was kind of the basis for every other group later. And then they all developed their own techniques as they left Africa, or left where we were living in Africa, and began to encounter different types of materials where that uh, type of production maybe wasn't as efficient, or, you know, maybe w wasn't required to do that to, you know, make better uh, tools but that's just an alternate theory I, I think that one is not quite as good I do think these people the civilians had well died out well before the um, the Kadan I don't think it was a very direct evolution between the two I do think there was a kind of a, a missing time frame there um, but who knows as I said the areas in that we're talking about now are getting a lot more studies studying these days so this could all be thrown out the window <laughs> this could very much be um, accurate I, I don't know um, I'm just kind of trying to give you a general idea of what is happening in this region uh, let's see where are we on time okay we're about 22 minutes that's actually pretty good I'm I'm glad um, I was able to give you guys a little bit of information and some rambling and kind of get in-depth to an actual material culture as opposed to a hypothetical linguistic or ethnic background as we've been doing the last couple of uh, weeks. Now, to kind of sum up what we know of Africa at 10,000 BC. Um, Africa has been spared the worst part of the megafauna die-off, at least for a time. Um, you're beginning to see much more diversity in speech, and uh, there is much more diversity in tools uh, that is going to be arising or has arisen, and there's just not evidence of it just yet. Um, and it's you're kind of going to get basically five or six sub-areas uh, where different groups kind of dominate uh, for the rest of you know the history until the Europeans arrive uh, and start exporting materials and humans from the region. But there's still a long way to go before we get to that. Uh, and we will get back to these people um, eventually. Uh, we'll see where they are, probably. Um, my timeline, I'm still working it out exactly. 
there are parts of Africa where there's not going to be a huge amount of development because there's there's no there's no pressure on these people to kind of change how they work and live. Um, that's not true everywhere, of course, as we'll see, because I do think we'll have to get back to Egypt or the northern part of Africa. We might not need to go back to the very southern tip. Um, maybe maybe mention them in passing, but I don't think they'll need their own episode again. I do think West Africa will need its own kind of um, study, as well as Eastern Africa, the Horn of Africa. Uh, but Central and South, Southern Africa, they probably won't need too much to go over because, again, they don't have these pressures due to lack of resources uh, to worry about that other humans do. Um, and we'll go into the worst of that uh, in the next couple of episodes because, um, you know, humans very much are creatures of habit, I feel. And we also like to work smarter and not harder if it can be helped. Um, but when that's not possible, we can be very ingenious. And I think that is one of the things that kind of happened and kind of caused human civilization to advance. Um, and I say civilization with a capital C, not that you know there's anything wrong with being a hunter-gatherer. It seems a while it's probably not an easy lifestyle, it does seem to be one that is at least healthy. And as we kind of investigate genetics, it seems to be one that's, uh, while it can be violent, is not quite as dangerous as you would expect. Again, uh, the Khoi and the San peoples, they have far less uh, bottlenecks in terms of uh, populations than these other cultures do. Uh, due to either war or disease or famine, which is all a part and parcel of uh, the domestication of animals and crops, which is going to be a very big part of our story going forward. Um, but yes, so next time we meet, I'm going to be going over Western Asia, uh, the Middle East, as it were, the Arabian Peninsula, the Levant, whatever you want to call it. There are a number of material cultures we can get into, uh, and these people are slightly ahead of um, the Kadan culture um, in terms of domestication of animals and crops. Uh, and I say slightly, I mean that very slightly, probably only a couple hundred years, maybe a thousand. But again, that's mainly because they had to be. Um, it's not something that you would necessarily do if you have a ready supply of easily huntable um, megafauna. But due to climate change uh, at the end of the Holocene, that is kind of what they're having to deal with. So um, we'll get into that the next time. Uh, and I say next time and not necessarily next week because uh, for those of you who are not aware, it is the 4th of July uh, next Monday, I believe, um, from when this is being recorded, um, or I'm sorry, from when this is going to be released. Um, I am going to be out of town with some friends. Um, I will be basically out of my city uh, from the 1st through the 5th. Um, so, 
I will not have an episode up next weekend. Um, but when I return, uh, that following week will be in Asia. Um, so, uh, plenty of time to get your questions in or feedback. I do like hearing from fans. And if you, again, uh, I do like constructive criticism, constructive feedback. If you have any legitimate questions or even if you just want to say you're enjoying the show, you can reach me at, excuse me, at the podcast's email at waradrevpod at gmail.com. And that's W-A-R-A-D-R-E-V-P-O-D at gmail.com. And, of course, I'll have my Twitter account linked for the show in the description. You can reach me there via direct message. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased the show is starting to pick up even more. I mean, I, I thought there may be, you know... 10 or so people for the start, but um, no, I'm I'm well above that, at least for weekly episodes. Um, so, I yeah, I'd like to thank everyone, and I hope you continue to listen and enjoy, and I hope to hear from you, and I hope everyone has a good day tomorrow and for your rest of the week. So, thank you, and goodbye. <laughs>